Uh, tonight we're continuing in the series that we kicked off last week called Questions from Jesus. Let me hear y'all say Questions from Jesus. And in this series, we're looking at how the questions Jesus asked changed the world forever. And how Jesus asked questions, and when he asked questions to you and to me, those questions help to show us more about who he is and who he's created us to be. You know, if you read through the Bible, it's clear that Jesus loved asking questions. In fact, in the four gospel accounts, he asked over three, he asked 339 questions. 307 of them are unique, specific questions. And Jesus asked questions to help instruct us, to teach us, to train us, to help us learn. How many of y'all know that one of the greatest ways you learn is by asking questions, right? Like even from a child, I'm sure you ask questions to learn. Um, my kids right now, they're Hudson and Hadley, um, Hadley's three and Hudson's four. And right now they're in the stage where all they do is they ask questions all day long. They come up to me, they'll tug on my shirt, they'll come and, you know, walk straight up and, hey, dad. And, and some of the questions they're asking right now, Hudson's like, hey, dad, how come I can't drink that? Hey, dad, how come I can't eat that? Hey, dad, what, how come I can't have candy right before bed? Hey, dad, how come, how come you can say that? Hey, dad, how come you and mom get to sleep in the same bed together? What, what's that all about? They're asking questions all day, every day. What, why, where, when, how? And the beauty of what Jesus, is, Jesus does with asking questions is he asks questions to make us ponder to make us wonder, to help us understand who he is and who he's created us to be. And today I believe that we have so much to learn from this very important question that Jesus asks us. And he asks us this question in this story that we just read while Peter is walking on water towards Jesus and Peter starts to sink and Jesus reaches out his hand and he picks Peter up out of the water and he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Doubt. If you're taking notes, I want, to, I want you to write that at the top of your notes. Why did you doubt? And I want to just point out something really quick for just a minute. Notice the intentionality of Jesus' choice of words. He never asked questions flippantly. He always had a point and a purpose and a plan to his questions. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, why are you a doubter? He doesn't let doubt become Peter's identity. Notice that Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, Peter, why do you doubt? He's not like, why are you always doubting? No, he says, hey, Peter, why did you doubt? See, Peter's, Jesus' question for Peter, and I believe his question for you and for me, is not a question of accusation, but it's actually a question of invitation. And it's an invitation to come and discover more of who Jesus is. And that's my prayer for tonight, that we would see this question as an invitation to discovery, an invitation to understanding the unending, unshaking, never stopping, never failing love of King Jesus, and that we would have a greater heart for who he is and what he has come to do for you and for me. And so let's talk today about spiritual doubt. You know, I think one of the things that is so beautiful about this book right here, the Bible, is that it is full of real stories about real people who had real questions and who went through real highs and real lows in their faith. And what stories like tonight's story can do for you and for me is to remove the misconception that in order to follow Jesus, you got to check your doubts at the door. 
remove the misconception that in order to follow Jesus, you just gotta blindly believe. In order to follow Jesus, you just gotta trust exactly what you're told. See, because what we see in the Bible is that even Jesus' closest followers, they had doubts. In Matthew chapter 28, we see that as Jesus, before he gives his great commission, we see that his 11 disciples make their way to the mountain that he instructed them to go to. And it says when they got up to the mountain, they worshiped, but some doubted. They had doubts, they had questions. Like, doesn't that look a little bit like church here every week when we gather together? That right now in this room and each and every week, that this room is full of people that would call themselves disciples and people that would say, yeah, I'm a doubter. It's full of people that would say, yeah, I'm a saint. And yeah, I'm a skeptic. And we all come to worship the risen King Jesus. And we bring our doubts and we bring our questions to him. And so I want to ask you this question. Have you ever experienced spiritual doubt before? Have you ever had doubt in your faith? Barna Research, uh, they did a study in 2017 on doubt. And one of the things they found is that, uh, I got the study up here. It says that 26% of Christians... 26% of Christians experience doubt on a regular basis. In the same study, it says, yes, uh, but 40% of Christians say that I have experienced doubt, but I worked through it. And only 35% of Christians said, no, I've never experienced doubt before. But what I thought was so interesting about the same study is they asked another question and they asked people, uh, they said, what did you do in response to your doubt? What did you do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus in response to your doubt? 45% of people said that they stopped attending worship services or gatherings. They stopped going to church. 29% said that they stopped reading the Bible. 29% said they stopped praying. 25% said they stopped talking with their friends and their family about their faith. And only 35% said they did none of those. Church, this is alarming. This is heartbreaking that we see that Christians' number one response when they experience doubt in this life is to walk away from church, to distance themselves from the things of God, to distance themselves from the people of God, to seemingly try to distance themselves from God altogether. Why is that? Why is it that people wanna step away from church when they experience doubt? I think it's because for too long, the church has gotten a bad reputation for being a place that says that you can't be real, that if you're gonna come here, you gotta put on a facade, put on a fake smile and pretend that everything is okay. And if you've heard or experienced that lie before, I just wanna say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, cause that is not true. Like I recognize that yes, church can seem like a scary place to come and doubt. It can seem like a lonely place to doubt. Maybe because that lie that says that you're the only one. Maybe because the lies and the misconceptions about this place and your perception of other people. Maybe it's because you have heard the lies of religiosity and you thought, okay, I can't bring those questions there. Maybe you've asked yourself, well, am I just the only one? And if I'm the only one wrestling with this, then maybe I should just try to push my doubts down. See, the problem is that if we're not willing to talk about our doubts, then we'll never get the chance to deal with them. 
And I think that there are people who left the church not because they didn't believe that God was good anymore, but because they felt like they had questions that they didn't feel safe asking and they felt like they had nowhere to go. But can I tell you that spiritual breakthrough can oftentimes come from saying the thing that you think and feel but are scared that you're not allowed to actually say it. See, doubts don't have to deter us away from Jesus, but instead they can be the very catalyst that we need to actually deepen our faith in Jesus. See, for me, the moments where doubt creeps in, the moments where fear creeps in, yes, as a pastor, I experience doubts. There's moments where fear starts to just blind me. There's moments where I've had these lies come into my mind. Is this all real? What did I give my life to? And it's in those moments where I have to remind myself that, no, I'm going to bring my doubts to Jesus. I'm not going to have to step away from Jesus. I want to step into, closer into relationship with him. And I'm going to come to the word of God. And I'm going to filter my doubts through the word of God. And I'm going to use the word of God and the people of God. And I'm going to pray to God and allow that to build and strengthen my faith. And so I want to be clear as we talk about doubt tonight, doubt, it's not a successful destination in life. Like living in doubt is not the place that you want to be, but doubt can be a great diving board into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so what we're going to see through this story tonight in Matthew 14, that Jesus is not distanced in your doubts. He's not far from your doubts. In fact, Jesus is seemingly drawn to your doubts. He wants to meet you in that place. And so whether you're here and you are doubting, you fall into that statistic. Whether you're here and you have doubted, or maybe you're here and you never have doubted before. This is a message for all of us tonight. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit would move through the word of God and that he'll deepen each of our faith tonight. And so I just want to give this disclaimer before we jump back into the text. This isn't a message tonight on apologetics. Like I'm not here tonight to give you the answer to every single one of your questions. I'm not here tonight to, to try and say that, to try to help you find those specific answers. What I want to do is to help each of us to know and to understand that we can take our doubts and we can take our questions to Jesus and they don't have to drive us away from him. We can come together because doubts don't disqualify your faith. And so in Matthew 14, uh, we see in verse 22, we see the beginning of this story of Jesus walking on water with Peter. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. How many of y'all know that context is so important when you're reading through the Bible? And so one of the first questions I ask is like, hey, where is this story taking place? Where, what, what's happening right here? Like where are they in the narrative and the story of Jesus? And where are they in the story and location here on earth? And one of the things that we know from other gospel writers like John is that this story is taking place opposite Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. I have a picture right here. And here you see the Sea of Galilee. And what happens just before this story is the feeding of the 5,000. And then Jesus sends them on a boat and they're going across the sea towards Capernaum. And, and maybe you're wondering, okay, well, what is the Sea of Galilee? Where is Galilee? Well, we can zoom out for just a second. And this other picture right here, we see that Galilee 
is the northernmost region of ancient Israel, ancient Palestine. And, and we see down lower, you see Judea and you see Jerusalem and Bethlehem down there. And you see even Egypt is all the way at the very bottom down there. And you see all the way at the top Caesarea Philippi where we were talking about last week. And, and there you see uh, Sea of Galilee up there right by Capernaum. And what's, what's important to know about this is that the majority of Jesus's ministry happens in Galilee. The majority of his ministry happens in Galilee. We actually see where his ministry begins is Galilee. If you have your Bible and you've got it open to Matthew 14, I just want to ask, would you flip back a few chapters all the way to Matthew chapter 4? Because now we've got a little context for where this is happening. What I want us to do is go on a journey through the context of what is happening in the narrative of this story leading up to Peter and Jesus walking on water. Because this is so, so, so beautiful. And maybe you're here and you've grown up in church and you're like, I've heard this story before, Joe. I've heard it every single way. And you're just going to tell me to have great faith tonight. I hope and I believe that going through this context is going to help to paint this story and lay the foundation for seeing this story in a new and a real and a fresh way tonight. And so in Matthew chapter 4. We see just before Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and then he goes out into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan and he overcomes that temptation. And then what does he do? He goes out to begin his ministry. And you'll see in chapter, in verse 12 of chapter 4 and 13, it says that Jesus goes on to live in Capernaum. Capernaum would be the hub, the home base for Jesus' ministry. And then he goes on, he says, and he goes on preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says, don't miss this, in verse 18, this is where Jesus calls his first disciples. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees two brothers, Simon and Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he calls them. And he calls them, they were fishermen, and he calls them and he says, hey, I want you to get out of your boat, come onto the beach and follow me. And so what do they do? Peter, James, and John, they get out of the boat, they walk onto the shore, and they follow Jesus. This is important for us to understand. This is happening on the Sea of Galilee where Peter walks on water. And what we got to understand from this story is it's important to note that before Jesus is ever going to call you to walk on water, he's going to invite you to walk with him on the beach. And he's going to invite you to follow him in obedience first. And could it be that so many of us, we have yet to experience the miraculous of following Jesus because we have not yet done the first thing that he's asked us to do, which is to follow him in obedience by getting out of the boat, dropping our nets and walking with him on the shore. And notice what he does with Jesus first on the Sea of Galilee is he invites him, come onto the shore with me. Come and adventure with me. Come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. Come and follow me as your rabbi. And as Peter follows Jesus, this lays the foundation for his journey with him. And then Jesus goes on and we see that he goes on healing every disease in verse uh, 23, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then his fame starts to spread. And so people start to gather and crowds start to gather so that they can hear and experience what Jesus has to say. And so in chapter five, Jesus preaches the goat of all sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna fast forward through that a little bit um, and go to Matthew chapter eight. And after Jesus preaches this sermon, 
We see that Jesus, uh, a leper approaches Jesus and asks to be healed. And Jesus heals a leper and he goes away clean. And we see then the faith of a centurion. This is so cool. Centurion was the commander of a Roman army. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, my servant is sick. My servant is sick. Can you please heal him? And Jesus says, because of your faith, I will heal your servant. Boom, servant healed. Then he goes to Peter's house and house, and he's like, hey, I'm gonna heal your mother-in-law. And he healed his mother-in-law. And then he goes on, notice this, it says, and he goes and healed all who were sick. How crazy is that? We're gonna fast forward some more. And then we get to verse 23. Uh-oh, what's happening here? Notice the title, it says, Jesus calms a storm. Did you catch that? Have you ever noticed when reading through the Bible, there's multiple times that Jesus is calming storms? And right here in chapter 8 of Matthew, we see that Jesus is out with his disciples on a boat. And they're out on a boat. And all of a sudden this storm comes. And they're all freaking out. They're all thinking they're about to die. They're screaming. And they're looking around. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And where is Jesus in the middle of the storm? He's sleeping in the ship. And he's down there. He's just snoozing, taking a nap. And Peter, Jesus' disciples go to him. And they're like, Jesus, can you help us, please? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up. And he looks at them. And he's like, what? Why are you guys so afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he looks at the wind and the waves. And he says, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. And the wind and the waves cease. They are still. And notice what it says at the end of this story. It says that, yeah, yeah, I got Joey's dying up here. He says, peace be still, okay? That's what Jesus says. In, in verse 27 of chapter 8. Jesus' disciples, it says that they marveled at Jesus and they asked this question. This is so important. Don't miss this. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is so important because what we see right here is that even Jesus' disciples had questions about who Jesus was. And what did they do with their questions? They didn't jump ship. They didn't walk away. They didn't give up. What did they do time and time again? They just kept coming back to Jesus. And they kept following him and they kept showing up wherever he was and they kept walking with him each and every day. And that's why we say this each and every week here at Elevate City. Just keep coming back because when you got questions amen when you got doubts you just keep showing up to Jesus and keep listening and keep coming to his feet and keep coming to him with your doubts and with your questions and you'll continue to grow in the journey and that's what happens with Jesus's disciples they just keep showing up you see faith is not the absence of doubts faith is the means by which we push through our doubts and that's how Peter the next time ends up walking on water. Let's continue though. We're back in, in this journey of going through some context. We got Matthew chapter eight. What happens next? Oh, Jesus just casually, you know, cast out a few demons out of these guys, cast them out into a herd of pigs and they go flying. Y'all ever seen pigs fly? Right here, bacon flying through the sky. And then Jesus, notice this, and this is so, so important. As you're reading through the Bible, start to think through some themes. And as you're reading through Matthew right here, you'll notice a the theme and the theme is faith. 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 And I want to point out faith to you through the next few stories. 
chapter 9, Jesus, these four friends, they bring their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Because he saw their faith, he heals the paralytic. Ooh, that's good. We're going to continue on just a little bit. Then we see uh, that this woman approaches Jesus in chapter 8, around verse 18. And we see this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years comes up to Jesus, touches his cloak. Jesus turns around and he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And that's all happening in the middle of another story where Jesus just casually just resurrects a little girl who had died back to life. And why does he do it? Because of the faith of her father. And then Jesus goes on to heal two blind men. And it says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And then he continues on and we see... In verse 35, it says that he goes on proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Have you noticed that Matthew's already said that a few times? He's just healing everything. And could it be that Matthew wanted to point out for you and for me that there is nothing too hard for Jesus? That there is no sickness that he can't cure? There is no illness that he can't stop? There is nothing too hard for Jesus. He can come and heal and he can step into any situation and any story and perform the miraculous. And then we're going to fast forward onto chapter 12. Chapter 12, Jesus, he heals a man with a broken hand in, in uh, verse 13. And because of that, people want to kill him. They want to destroy him. Then we see that there's this man who is demon oppressed, blind, and mute. Nothing too hard for Jesus. Jesus heals him too. And then I want you to notice something. In chapter 13, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus, he goes to his hometown. He's in Nazareth. And in verse 58, it says that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So faith, he was moving. He gets to his hometown. No faith. He does not perform mighty works there. their faith. In Matthew chapter 14, we see then in verse 13, Jesus, he sees this crowd begin to gather before him and he has compassion on them. He heals their sick. And this is where we see what's known as Jesus feeding the 5,000. And what happens is this crowd comes before him and he performs these miracles and he's preaching and he's teaching and then everyone gets hungry and they're like, we have no food, but there's this little boy who has this tuna fish lunchable and he brings it to Jesus and Jesus turns it into enough food miraculously to feed over 5,000 men. Men, it would have been estimated that there was actually over 15,000 people there that day that Jesus feeds miraculously. This is the context. This is the story. This is what has happened leading up to this miracle where Jesus and Peter walk on the water. This story, it's so important for us to understand that it happens two years into the disciples' journey with Jesus. They had been walking with him, listening to him, learning from him for two years. These were not 
JV Christians that Jesus is asking, why did you doubt? No, these are people that experience the power of Jesus. And so let this be an encouragement for you, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, no matter what stage or phase of the journey that you are on, let it be known for you that it is okay to have questions and it is okay to come to Jesus with all of your questions. Bring them to Jesus. See, the beauty of this story is that Jesus didn't distance himself from his disciples' doubts and questions. No, he brought them in. He brought them closer to his heart to teach them more about who he is. And then we see this story take place. Matthew 14, verse 22. We're going to go through verse by verse through this story. It says, immediately Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Remember, he just fed all those people and then he dismissed them. And then after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So first thing I want to point out here is that Jesus sent them into the storm. Jesus is the one that put them on a boat and sent them into the storm. He knew a storm was coming that night. He knew what was about to happen. And he sent them into the storm. Which for you and, for, for you and me, this is important for us to understand. Because so often we get so mad at God when we find ourselves in the storms of this life and we just start to blame him and we just start to get mad at him. But what happens here for the disciples was actually for their protection. It was actually for their benefit that Jesus sent them into the storm. We're going to talk about that. And also it was for the purposes and the plan of Jesus' mission that he needed them to get away from the crowd. And he needed them to get away. So he puts them on a boat and says, go to the other side. See, in John chapter 6, we get even more context for what's happening in his account of the story. In verse 15, uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says that he was perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, Jesus, he came to this earth with a plan. He came to bring God's kingdom to earth. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to make a way for humanity, for you and me, to be made right with God. And part of Jesus' plan was to delay the reveal of him as king. Why? Because he, he knew that the people of the day were looking for a king to come and rule and to reign. But what they didn't know is that they were really in need of a savior to come and die for them. See, the Jewish people of the day, they had been looking around. They were waiting for this king to come and over overthrow the Roman Empire and to come and establish his kingdom here on this earth. And, and they had been looking and Jesus knew that as they started to perceive that what if he is that king, that crowds were going to form and it was going to mess up his plan and that his disciples, they're pretty like, I don't know, like just go with the flow sometimes. And they would have been like, you're a king. All right, let's put you, put a crown on your head. And Jesus knew it was not yet time. And so for their protection and for part of his plan, he puts them on a boat, he sends them into a storm. See, Jesus knew that their motives weren't spiritual, they were selfish. And so he works to save them. And could it be that one of the reasons that we doubt, and one of the reasons that we struggle in our faith is because we actually have misunderstandings and misplaced expectations about who Jesus came to be for us. That so many times we get frustrated with Jesus because we have these misplaced expectations about who he actually came to be for us and what he came to do. They wanted a king, but 
they really needed a savior. See, so many people have bought into believing this lie that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be carefree, worry-free, struggle-free, and that you'll never experience hurt or loss or pain. And that's simply not true. Jesus sent them into the storm. See, so many people blame God for breaking promises that God never actually made. Like he never promised that you wouldn't get your heart broken from that relationship ending. He never promised you that divorce wouldn't wreak havoc on your family. He never promised you that you wouldn't get sick and that that diagnosis wouldn't be cancer. He never promised you health, wealth, and prosperity. He didn't promise any of that. No, in fact, the opposite is true. He promises that you and I will experience pain in this life. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace. For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, watch out. Waves are coming. Watch out in this life. There's a storm that is on the horizon. Would you just watch out and would you get ready? Would you walk around with an umbrella expecting that storms are going to come? Have you ever seen uh, videos before of people that are walking on the beach and uh, they seemingly don't understand how the oceans work, how waves roll in and they're never expecting that like a wave could, you know, maybe knock them down and pummel them and make them roll across the floor. Like have you ever seen those videos where people get knocked down? Like I love these videos and I love them so much that I wanted to show you some of these videos to help you understand at this point. So check out these videos. Dude just gets taken out. And it looked like he like had a drink in his hand or something. Like what was he expecting to do going out? You can go to the next video now. He just keeps getting knocked down. So this is one of those things. Yeah, that music, he just got you. Where you gotta understand when people say you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with, all of these friends, they're doing the same thing. And also what's on this guy's foot? Like what is happening? They keep getting taken out by the same, <laughs> watch this guy, just about to get rocked. He's not ready for it. Next one, all right, What's, what do we got next? This is great. Come on, just play that one again so they can just see, because this is what I would imagine that some of the disciples were doing, just, just trying. They're like, the only way is through. I'm gonna try to make it through the wave. Okay, let's go to the next one. This one's my favorite. Ready for it? Just crumpled. All right, this is what I imagine the soundtrack would have been for the story we're looking at tonight. Like, look at the kids. They're looking at their mom like, why are you letting dad do this to us? <laughs> the kids are in just complete terror. Like, look at that kid's face. He's just crying out, mom, help me. Like, if that's not how the disciples were responding in this middle of the storm, they're like, where is Jesus? Just crying out to him. See, here's the reason why I show you those videos, because Jesus makes it clear a storm is coming. And so often in this life, we're just like, you know, just going through life, not expecting that every now and then a storm is gonna come, a wave is gonna come and it's gonna knock us off our feet and we're gonna fall to the ground. And rather than getting, getting mad at God and frustrated with God, what if we started to say, hey God, how might you want to use that storm to teach me? 
to grow me, to make me more into the image of your son, Jesus. See, Jesus says this word. He says, take heart, which means to be of good courage, to be of good cheer. It's almost like he's like, hey, when that wave knocks you down, get up and be like, that was fun. Like, just keep on going. And, and we say, Jesus is using these words. He's saying, hey, if you'll stay close to me in the storm, if you'll draw near to me in the storm, you'll find peace in the middle of chaos. Peace that surpasses understanding. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. It's when we have this mindset that we'll be able to say, hey, I don't know why this storm happened. I don't know why I just got knocked down, but I'm going to choose to turn to Jesus in the midst of it. And even when I can't explain it, I'm going to say I got this peace that is surpassing all understanding. And it's the peace knowing that Jesus is with me in the middle of this storm. It's like you being able to say like King David, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, of the shadow of fear, of the shadow of Death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You know what you do with valleys? You walk through them. You don't stay in a valley. You walk through the valley with God. And he promises to be with you in the middle of whatever storm you find yourself in. This is the great promise of Jesus that he's trying to remind us and help us understand that doubt does not need to be your dead end that he is calling you to move through it. He is calling you to just keep walking with him. He promises I'll be with you in the storm. There's James, uh, Jesus' half-brother. James, he actually spent a majority of his life uh, doubting Jesus. And he goes on later to trust in him as his savior and he realizes who Jesus really is and he goes on to live for Jesus and so much so that he's eventually martyred for his faith. He's stoned and beaten with a club to death. And he writes this about trials. He says in James chapter one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Listen, your faith can be tested without being tarnished. Your faith can come under trial. See diamonds, how are they formed? Under pressure. Concrete, how many of y'all know that concrete is actually stronger when it's porous? When it's got little holes in it, it makes the concrete stronger, which leads me to believe that maybe Kelly Clarkson was right when she said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> See, Jesus sent them into the storm for their benefit, and it was to strengthen their faith and to show them the significance of who Jesus came to be for them. See, your faith can bend without having to be broken. And so the next time before you start to doubt God because of the storm you're in, what if you started to doubt your doubt first? And what if you started to ask yourself this question, have I doubted my doubts yet? Have I started to question my doubts yet like I'm questioning my God? Have you started to ask yourself, hey, what level of spiritual misguidedness or misunderstanding may I have that is driving my doubt? Ask yourself, why might God have me here? Am I here to grow? Am I here to serve? Am I here to sow seed? Am I here to care for others? How might God be wanting to deepen my faith? Is there anything I need to repent of? Is there any sin that I need to confess? How might God want to use me for his glory in this storm? How might he want to help me see the purpose in the midst of my pain? See, Jesus never promises certainty in this life, but he does promise that he will be with us always. 
And in Matthew 14, the story continues. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they cried out, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. Oh, said it again. It is I. Do not be afraid. See, one thing we've got to understand is that these were professional fishermen who had seen a storm or two in their lives. But this was a windstorm. The wind would come off of the mountains around the lake and it would, the warm air would collide, the cold air would collide with the warm air and it would produce these unpredictable, these terrifying windstorms that would come out of nowhere. And so this explains why these fishermen are terrified and caught off guard. Like, have you ever seen a little boat in the middle of a windstorm? Like, check this out. This is what I would imagine this would have looked like for them. Look at these little boats just getting tossed and turned in the middle of a windstorm. These men were on a fishing boat. They were not on a yacht. They were on a boat that was made by hand. They put this boat together. They're out there in the middle of this sea just getting rocked by these waves. And they are terrified. They are afraid that they are about to die. See, the thing about doubt that we've got to understand is that doubt can be disorienting. It can be disorienting. When you find yourself in a season of doubt, sometimes it's hard to know and understand which way is up and which way is down and what is true and what is not true and where should I go and which direction should I turn. Like I'm from the coast and being from the coast, um, I've gotten the opportunity to surf in many a storm or two. And me and my friends, we were the crazy kids that when a hurricane was coming, we would go out and we would surf before the hurricane and during the hurricane and after the hurricane. And anytime there was a big storm, a nor'easter coming down to North Carolina, we'd be like, let's go. And we'd go put our wetsuits on and we would go out and we would surf the biggest waves that we could find. And one of the things that would happen inevitably is uh, that we would find ourselves out in the middle of the water all alone. Oftentimes what we would do is we would paddle across the waterway to an island and on this island, there's no one on this island, but it's where the best waves would break. And so we'd paddle to this island and go out into the water. And so many times it was that we were the only ones on this island. And you know how scary it can be when you look out onto the beach and you see nothing, no houses, nobody. And you're out there in the middle of this storm and there's waves breaking all around you. And, and all of a sudden your friend catches a wave and he goes in, but you're out there in the middle of the ocean and the sky is dark and there's like water falling from the sky, but it's not raining. It's because the wind is blowing so hard on the waves that water is just washing over you at different times. And, and what would happen sometimes is you'd go to catch a wave, but that wave would, you know, knock you down. And that wave would take you to the bottom of the floor. And so many times I just remember that this wave would pummel me and I'd be on the ground trying to figure out which way is up. And, and all of a sudden you're just gasping for breath and you come up out of the water and you don't know which way is the beach and which way is out to sea and you come out of the water and there's just this white foam all around you and there's again water smacking you in your face and you look around and you don't see anybody. What starts to happen in that moment? You think that you're about to die. In the moments where I've been out in the water and thought there's a shark underneath me when there was no shark underneath me or the moments where I was alone and scared and terrified and caught in the middle of a storm. 
And that is what doubt can do so often for you and for me, that we'll find ourselves in places where we thought we were having fun, we thought everything was going good, we thought that we were just going out for a day with our friends and then a storm hits. And all of a sudden, everything that we thought and knew to be true, we have started to become disillusioned. We've started to become disoriented. We've started to become discombobulated of sorts and we don't know which way to go. And that's so oftentimes what can happen with doubt. These disciples, remember, they had been in a storm before. They had been in this place before and Jesus calmed the storm, but this storm was unlike anything else and it causes them to be disoriented to what is going on around them. See the atmosphere around you, the spiritual temperature, the spiritual warfare, all of it can be disorienting and it can cause your vision to be blurred. It can keep you from seeing clearly what Jesus wants you to see. See, on the other side of doubt, so oftentimes we look back and have you ever done this before? You look back and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why was I mad about that? Like that wasn't founded in logic or reason and understanding. Like that doubt was just feelings and that doubt was just emotions. And so often our doubts drive us towards shifting sand and we struggle to understand what's happening. See, Jesus, he sends them away in this story, sends them away just after dinner and then several hours pass and it's between three and six o'clock in the morning that Jesus shows up to them walking on the water. And what's crazy is that this trip should have only been like a two-hour trip across, the, across that little lake that you just saw, that little sea. And they were out at sea for a long time. And we see that they were actually three and a half miles away from shore when Jesus starts to show up walking on the sea to meet them. And this is important for us to understand. Jesus didn't like just like walk straight from shore onto the boat. No, Jesus was pursuing them. Jesus was walking for miles to meet his friends out at the sea, which this is a reminder for you and me that just because you feel lost doesn't mean that you're alone. Jesus has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He was there praying for his disciples and then he was there walking for miles across the waves to go and meet them where they were. And then it says in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. See, the disciples weren't looking for Jesus because their faith was blinded by fear. They were disoriented. And they certainly failed to remember what Jesus had already done. See, so often we struggle to see Jesus in the midst of our doubts because we're not looking for him. We're looking so oftentimes everywhere else but in his word. We'll get on Google real quick and type in and try to find the answer to our deepest question real quick on the Googles. We'll go to our favorite influencer and see whatever it is that they say about the questions that we have. We'll just go with the current and the waves and the winds of culture rather than what Jesus has to say. And so I wanna challenge you, next time you find yourself in a season of doubt, what if you start to ask yourself these questions, are these doubts true to who Jesus is in his word? Are these doubts contrary to the character of Jesus? Like how do these doubts stack up against the stories that I read about the faithfulness of God in this book? How do these doubts compare to my testimony and to what Jesus has done for me up to this point? See, Peter clearly remembered what the other disciples had forgotten. We get to Peter now and Peter answered Jesus in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me 
If you got your Bible out, underline that word command. Command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Listen, I will never be someone that diminishes the faith of Peter. He was the only one who had the audacious faith to step out of the boat and to walk on water with Jesus. Like I just imagine this story and all the other disciples are tucked away, hiding and holding on to the boat. And Peter, he stands up when he hears Jesus' voice and he walks over to the edge and he's like, Jesus, is that you? Whoa, what are you doing? Can I come play with you? Can you call me to come, like me, like you, me, you, me, you, me. Can you call me to come walk in the water with you? Jesus, please. Like, can you imagine like everyone else is scared. Jesus has this crazy faith because he sees Jesus doing something that no one else could do, but he has the faith to believe that Jesus could cause him to do it too. And he says, I wanna come. And I want to walk towards you, Jesus. See, this is the faith that I want us to have here at Elevate City. That a faith that looks out and what's happening, what Jesus is doing, what the spirit of Jesus is doing. Like in places like Kentucky right now at the Asbury University Revival. And we want to be a people that have a faith to see, say, Jesus, you're doing that up there. Can I come and be a part of it? Can I come and step into this revival of what you're doing? Can you do that in me? What if Jesus, your spirit started to do that in me? Because it's the same spirit that's up there is also living in me. And so Jesus, I want to be a part of it. Can you cause me to be a part of it? Would you come and spark revival right here in Atlanta, in Elevate City Church? Would you do the same work in me? That's the kind of faith Peter has. He sees what Jesus is doing. He says, I want to be a part of a miraculous move of God. He says, cause me to step out, Jesus. Would you command me to step out with you? I never want to downplay a miraculous move of the Spirit of God. He's moving. So our hands should be open and our hearts should be ready to receive what he has for us. See, when Matthew wrote of Peter's request, he says, command me to come to you. He used a Greek word that means the command of a king. Remember we just talked, Jesus didn't want anyone to know that he was the king. But isn't it ironic that Jesus didn't want them to know, but Peter starts to pick up what Jesus is putting down. And he's like, oh, you're a king. You're the king of the waves and the wind. And you're the one that, you know, made all of this. So you can tell me to do whatever and the waves to do whatever. And I'm going to walk out with you. He uses this command of the king, says, come on, Jesus, I want to walk with you. See, Peter wasn't being naive. He was exercising faith that was based on evidence and experience with Jesus. So Jesus says, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. See, Peter is the doubter who stepped out while everyone else stayed in. It's so important for us to recognize. Jesus may have said, why did you doubt? But he's the one that stepped out of the boat. Listen, no matter who you are, I need you to know, no matter if you've doubted before or not, you're likely to have a date with doubt on your calendar. Check your phone, check your iCal. You got a date with doubt at some point. But when it comes, I want to challenge you, don't stop following Jesus in your doubt. Just keep walking towards him. Just keep stepping out. See, Peter's got this big, bold, audacious faith, faith to step out. And once he starts walking, notice that it doesn't say how long Peter was walking for. I think so many times we have this picture in our mind that he stepped out, 
took two steps, and then fell. No, it doesn't say how long. And they see Jesus off at a distance. They think he's a ghost. So I'm imagining Jesus was pretty far away. Maybe he was a football field away. Whoever knows. But he was far away. And Peter is walking towards Jesus. Not just two steps. He is walking with Jesus on the waves. It says in verse 30 though, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. It says when he saw the wind, you know what you don't see? Wind. <laughs> but what you do see is you see the effects of wind. And the wind was moving and causing waves. Notice it doesn't say there was rain. There's no mention of rain in this story either. He saw the waves. Can you imagine with me standing out in the middle of the ocean like, and this is what you see. Like Peter, he wasn't walking across a pool. He was walking across this. And he sees Jesus and he's stepping towards Jesus. And I can just imagine that Jesus walked out for three miles and he's walking over waves. Waves are crashing around him. He's just walking, maybe skipping up waves. And Peter, when he's walking towards Jesus, waves are crashing all around him. And so I'm just thinking about the faith that he had to have to walk even for two steps, knowing that there's waves crashing around him. But it says that when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He starts to see the wind and the waves around him. It's because his faith shifted from the firmness of Jesus' command to the shifting sand of his circumstances and the instability of what was happening around him. And so he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to look at the storm around him and he starts to sink. And one thing we gotta understand about doubt is so often doubt doesn't just come from something internal. Doubt comes because of some external wave that is crashing around us, a wave of a loss of a loved one, a wave of a disaster that strikes in our family or in our city, a wave of a job being lost, a wave of, of a heart being broken. And so many times these external waves come and crash upon our lives that cause internal fear and frustration and doubt. And that's when we start to sink. Why? Because that wave distracts us. And it takes our eyes off the focus of our faith, which is Jesus, and onto the storm that's around us. So do you want to know how to avoid doubt in the future, how to push down doubt, how to just put your foot over doubt and say, not today? Well, this story makes it clear. It's all about where we're looking, who we're looking for, and who we're looking to. Because notice what Peter does immediately when he starts to sink. What does he do? He cries out to Jesus. He says, Lord, save me. You don't call on someone that you don't think can actually save you. Lord, save me. I'm gonna ask you, who do you cry out to when you're scared? Who are you gonna cry out to when that storm hits your life? Who are you gonna cry out to when that darkness seems to settle in over your head? Who are you gonna cry out to? He says, Jesus. 
See, I want this place, Elevate City, to be the place that shatters this statistic that says that 45% of people walk away from church in their doubt. No, we're gonna be a place that we cry out to Jesus in the middle of our doubt, that we come to Jesus in the middle of our doubt, that we don't step away, but we pray and we open up his word and we gather with the people of God and we sing his praises. And how does Jesus respond to Peter? He reaches out his hand. He took a hold of him. And he said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. He says, oh, you of little faith. See, what matters most is not necessarily the measure of your faith. Notice when he says, oh, little faith, he's not talking about something that's subjective, like we just got to muster up more faith. No, he's talking about what matters most is the object of our faith. That Peter's faith was little because he took his eyes off of Jesus, who was the object of his faith. Jesus was the only way that he was going to walk on water. Jesus is the one that commanded him to. Jesus was the object of his faith. And the only way that he started to sink was when he took his eyes off of him. That phrase, little faith, in the Greek is this word, oligopistos which describes someone who is dull to hearing the Lord's voice. Dull to hearing the Lord's voice. It's as if you get to a place where you go like this, I don't wanna hear. Or I've just heard it, okay, God, okay. Saying the same thing. You start to go like this. It also means someone that is disinterested in walking intimately with him, intimately close with him. When you start to distance yourself from God, you start to what? Have this little faith where you start to look at everything else happening around you and you start to miss out on what he is doing in your life. We start to have little faith when we stop listening to Jesus and we stop walking closely with him. See, five times in the gospels, Jesus asks his followers a question followed by, oh, you have little faith. Twice, it's when they're worried about clothes worried about what they're gonna wear, if they're gonna have enough clothes. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why are you worrying? Another time it's when they're worried about having enough food. Oh, you have little faith. Don't you know I can provide some food for you? And twice it happens when they're out at sea, external waves, external things happening around them. So Peter, he begins to sink. And it's not that his faith was now gone. It's that his faith and his eyes were off of the object of his faith which helps us to understand that your faith is only strong when the focus of your faith is strong. You wanna know the secret to big faith, faith that stays the course, faith that endures, faith that excites, faith that moves, faith that is constant, faith that is contagious. It's pretty straightforward. It's fixing your eyes on Jesus, the object, the way of your faith. He says, why did you doubt? This word translated doubt here, this is so, so important to understand. It has this meaning of standing uncertainly at two ways. It's that Peter started out with great faith, but he ended up with little faith because he took his eyes off of Jesus and then he started to see two ways instead of one. He starts to see these different ways. Notice this is why it's so important that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, we've got to understand that each and every one of us, every day we are living by faith. We all got faith in something. The question is, what are you going to put your faith in? On your way here, you had faith in your car that it was going to take you here, that you weren't 
your car wasn't gonna just like blow up on 285, which apparently happens in Atlanta. You had faith in that food that you ate last night that it wasn't gonna give you salmonella and make your stomach be all messed up. You have faith in that Amazon delivery driver that tonight in Jesus' name, they're gonna drop that package on your front door and it's gonna be there when you get back and you're gonna have that new outfit that you wanted to wear to work tomorrow in Jesus' name. You have faith in so many different things. Every day we're putting faith in so many different things. And the question is, what are we putting faith in? If you're doubting, it's not that your faith is gone. That's a lie. You're simply shifting your faith from one thing to another. And so in seasons of doubt, the question I want you to ask is, what is the object of my faith right now? Is it a person? Is it an idea? Is it a new scientific method? Is it a relationship? Is it a preacher? Is it a calling? Is it a career? And what happens when that person or that thing lets you down? Because I need you to know that it's gonna let you down time and time again. And are you gonna choose to doubt God because that person let you down? Or are you gonna choose to draw close? Because doubt doesn't have to be your default move. It doesn't have to be. You can still walk forward in faith. Doubt doesn't need to lead to desperation. It doesn't need to lead to deconstruction and it doesn't need to lead to a demolished faith. You can walk with Jesus with your doubt and draw closer to him. Hebrews 12, we'll close with this. Hebrews 12, the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer's wanting right here to remind us, therefore, because of what God has done because of how God has worked miracles, because of how God has worked through the faith of his people, let us lay aside every weight of sin that clings so closely. This is so important in seasons of doubt, we've gotta get honest with God. We've gotta to come to God in prayer and say, hey, what sin is it that maybe I need to throw aside? What sin is it that maybe I need to lay aside? What weight is holding me back right now? What do I need to take off my shoulders so that I can run with endurance the race that is set before me? Looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One thing I wanna point, point out about these stories, notice in this story, when Jesus sends them into the storm, what is he doing? He's praying for them. What is Jesus doing for you right now in the middle of your storm? He is praying for you. He is right next to the father and he is advocating on your behalf. He is advocating for you. He is working for you. And even when you can't see it, he is moving and he is shifting things around for your good and for his glory. And how does the story end? When they got into the boat and the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped Jesus saying, truly you are the son of God. What did the disciples do with their questions? They saw Jesus move and they came to Jesus. See, this whole story is not an accusation against the questions or the doubts that we face. This whole story is an invitation to encounter the God of the universe, the son of the living God, Jesus Christ. And what's wild about this story, you notice the similarities the first time they're in a storm, they're like, who is this man? The second time they're in this story, they say, you are the son of God. And they fall down and worship Jesus. And it's in that place that they take their doubts 
and their questions and everything that had happened. And it's at the crossroads of doubt and faith that they worship Jesus for who he is. May that be our response. May that be our response, church, that when we go through seasons of doubt, we don't step away from Jesus, but we come closer to him. See, intimacy is created when we bring our doubts to the feet of Jesus and we say, I may not know what you're doing right now, but I'm going to choose to worship you. I may not have the words to sing right now, but I'm going to sing out anyways. I may not know what to do right now, but I'm going to kneel before you. I'm going to come to the altar and I'm going to experience you because I know that you're inviting me into relationship, into a deeper, more meaningful relationship. And you want to use the questions I have and you want to use the doubt that I have to move my heart towards you, Jesus. And that's what he's doing. He's moving and he's calling you closer to him. So what will be your response?